Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Tax Security Podcast. We are really excited about our topic for today. Uh, as you see in the title, we are going to be talking about the CCIE Security Version 6. And a couple of things we want to focus on is, since we're here in the COVID-19 pandemic, what is the CCIE V6 and why is it a great time right now to be studying for it? But before we jump into our topic for today, I wanted to take a minute to do something that we don't do very often, and that is give a shameless plug out for our TAC Connect bot. Our TAC Connect bot is a new method that you, our customers and listeners can use to interact with TAC on existing cases that you may have. So in the past, you may have had to call TAC or you may have had to just communicate via email or through the support case manager. And now we have a new method where you can interact using WebEx Teams. And this is really awesome because it's basically, you can create a virtual space, you can ask for status updates, you can provide updates, you can get the status for a bug. Um, you can do all kinds of cool things through the TAC Connect bot. So you don't have to necessarily back, go back and forth through emails anymore. Um, it's, it's an automated bot that will give you status updates, as I mentioned. You can connect to the engineer, you can ask for help and give feedback and things like that all through the TAC Connect bot. So go check it out. It's tacconnect.cisco.com or you can access it through the support case manager. There are a lot of little links towards the bottom that take you to it. It'll say things like chat and WebEx Teams. Uh, there's a little hi there. I can help you manage your cases, all of that, and the support case manager. So take a look at that and uh, see if it's something that you could leverage because uh, we think it'll be really helpful for case interaction when you're having to work with TAC. So having said that, let's go back and jump into our conversation uh, for today, which is the CCIA V6 security. So to join us in this topic today, we have Nick Conroy. Nick is one of our outstanding engineers in the high-touch technical support security organization here at Cisco. So Nick, uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing good over here in North Khaki Lackey. Uh, Zach and I are here in North Carolina. Nick is in Colorado. Um, and so Nick, uh, just as a, a quick introduction, you are also studying for the version six right now for the security CCIA, are you not? Correct. Yep. I passed my uh, written on the version five right before the deadline uh, and we transitioned to version six. Uh, and then I had a lab date set up in May, but the virus has stopped that. So I'm still studying and uh, waiting for my next lab date. Awesome. Awesome. And you guys may notice, you know, we're since we're in the COVID-19 pandemic, we used to do these podcasts in person. Right now, obviously, we're recording uh, virtually. So you may have a few little audio blips here and there. Bear with us on that. That being said, I want to move over to Zach McIntosh. Zach is one of our technical leaders. Uh, he works in both VPN and AAA technologies, ICE and, and all the different types of VPN that we have on Cisco products. Zach passed his CCIE version 5 uh, back a couple years ago. And Zach, why don't you uh, go ahead and tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself? Well, yeah, like Kevin said, I'm a technical leader in the security space. Um, I'm excited to get the invite to be on one of the podcasts. So... It's first time. Also happy to be <laughs> repping North Kakalaki. <laughs> and for all of you that aren't here, that's this is the place to be. So um, excited to talk about CCIE. Definitely a huge journey in my career, ups and downs. So uh, anything that we can provide to help other people uh, get down this journey. Whenever someone comes into TAC, the first thing that I tell them that they need to do if they want to be a successful TAC engineer is figure out how they're going to attack this. So, so I think it's a great topic. Happy to be a part of it. Thanks, Zach. And and that's a great segue into sort of. Let's just talk real quick about sort of what is the goal of this episode. So, 
you know, we're talking about the CCIE. It is the, you know, the premier networking certification in the industry. It's, it's very intimidating to many people. It was certainly intimidating for me, you know, when I joined the tech uh, close to eight years ago now, um, and I didn't really have a lot of Cisco experience or, or experience taking the exams. And so, you know, it's certainly one of those things, as Zach mentioned, it's, it's a huge task. And a lot of times, you know, it takes you away from your, your personal life for a while. You really have to hunker down, so to speak, and, you know, set aside a chunk of time to study. And we'll talk more about, you know, the, the tips and tricks and how to, how to sort of approach this thing. Um, but what, what I found in, in my career and just in my personal life, too, is just the, the sheer amount of dedication that it requires, but the amount of sort of character and confidence, I think, that it builds in your career um, as well. And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, where we're at in terms of the world right now. Obviously, you know, in COVID-19 right now, we're kind of locked up in our, in our homes. And it's ironic. I was thinking about it this morning, trying to, you know, kind of rack my brain, you know, what do we want to talk about during this episode? And one of the things I thought about was when I took the CCIE, I remember all my friends, I wasn't even married and didn't have kids at the time. And uh, I still don't have kids, but I wasn't married either. And so it, we know those can introduce additional challenges. But one of the things that, you know, I kind of found was, you know, everyone was like, hey, man, you've been gone for months. Like, where have you been? Right. So, you know, Nick, why don't you walk us through when you're studying for for this exam, you kind of have to lock yourself away anyway, right? You have to kind of cut out parts of your personal life, parts of things that you like to do, at least for a time. And now that we're in a pandemic and we're sort of forced to do that, is, is this not one of the best times, you know, out there that we could we could really leverage to take the CCIE or try and at least take a crack at it? Oh, for sure. I've um, been ramping up, uh, taking, uh, I took my Encore exam recently just because I, I felt I had a little bit of a, uh, weakness in my routing and switching as I'm studying. Um, being able to take the exams from home is a, is a good feature uh, that has come out due to the pandemic as well. Um, I do have three kids. So throughout all of this studying um, and, and really trying to get my career further through the CCIE, I have to set aside time. Um, I spend time in the garage, you know, from 10 o'clock until midnight, uh, setting up lab stuff and cabling on cabling, re, you know, resetting up a, uh, a cluster, tearing down my VMs. I, I use a lot of, um, you know, trial licenses, so I got to tear them down and rebuild them up and, and, and whatnot. Uh, quite often, I think a lot of our, our listeners will be using eval licenses as well. So you spend a lot of time doing it over and over and over again, and it does take uh, a lot of time away from the kids and, and locking yourself away in your lab and your garage. But uh, uh, in the end, I hope it's all well worth it. I think it will be. I know that for me, um, I, I try to replace some of the commute time with with the stuff that I'm studying. So I have an extra hour a day now that I'm not commuting. So I wake up at the same time. I drink my coffee. I'm wearing sweatpants, but that, that's study mode anyways, right? So I just get up and use that same time to, to study for whatever I'm studying for. It's not the CCIE at the moment, but it's always something. And, and I think I've been more successful in uh, at least carving out that defined time interval to have that time to study. So, it, it, I mean, it's great. Yeah. So, yeah, although, you know, there's a lot of difficulty in the world right now and everything's a little bit crazy or off kilter, you know, if you are out there and you're considering studying for the CCIE and you work in the networking field, and in this case, in the network security field specifically, 
you know, if the CCI is something that you see in your future, and if you work in this field, I would highly, you know, I think all of us would highly recommend going that route. It's a huge boon for your career and for uh, for you personally, really. Um, the, the exam is no joke, neither the written nor the lab especially, uh, but I think you'll find it a very rewarding and fulfilling and lucrative feather to put in your cap. So so let's talk a little bit about the the written, right? It used to be where you had to go in to some testing center somewhere, you had to you know, fill out a paperwork, go sit in a room and take the exam at some Pearson View authorized you know, location. Nick, I think you've taken a few of these exams from home and we know, you know that the CCIE right now, as, as of just a few months ago, you can take the written from your home via Pearson View. So that's a huge thing. And so Nick, why don't you, uh, since you've actually done this, you wanna give us some of your feedback and experience on that? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great, asset just for the fact that even as Zach was just talking about commute, you got to take time off work or schedule for right after work and then fight traffic to get to a, an exam center, uh, go in there, check in, you know, put your stuff in the locker the way that they make you do it. Um, when you're able to take it from home, it just gives you a, a time where you can schedule it for maybe right when your workday is ending or late at night when, you know, after you put the kids down or whatever. So it just gives you a lot of more flexibility. Uh, to take the exam. And it's a really simple process. Um, you've got to set up in a room. You, you'll you fail the exam if someone walks in and, and talks to you. So you've really got to lock yourself up uh, in a room. Um, but then you, you take a picture of your ID with the iPhone app that they text you once you uh, log into the Pearson system. Uh, you'll take a picture of your ID, then they'll want you to take a picture from the right and the left and the front and the back of your desk just to make sure that you don't have an extra monitor or any other ways of cheating. Um, and then a proctor is actually going to watch you via your webcam take the exam. Um, and before they take the, uh, they have you take the exam, if they've noticed anything in your room that they want to see, they'll have you actually spin your webcam around the room and just you know, make sure you don't have a chart on the wall of you know, diagrams or something. <laughs> they do keep it, you know, they keep the, the integrity of the test in mind when they, when they do that, they've set up a really good system, but it is a way more comfortable way to take the exam for me. I've taken uh, several Cisco exams and then some vendor neutral exams throughout this pandemic. And um, I think it probably improves my score five or 10 points, not having to fight commute and go check in and deal with that whole process. Well, that's some great feedback. And so, yeah, so for, for our listeners out there, take advantage of this, right? I mean, nobody likes being stuck at home all the time, but if you're going to be, you know, use that time and, and really take this as an opportunity to go ahead and, and get some of those exams, whether it's the CCIE or not, you know, take advantage of the opportunity to allocate that time and, and make some strides in your career uh, during this otherwise tumultuous episode in our in all of our lives. You know, well, let's transition a little bit about the, the lab then. So as of right now, as of today, we're recording this on August the 31st, 2020. Uh, right now, there are only a couple locations where you can take the, the CCIE lab. And I think that there are plans to get them opened up as quickly as possible. In our show notes, we will have links, for, uh, at least a link that will show the, the state of the, the labs. They are still going to be on site. And I think that's going to be the case for the foreseeable future. But you can certainly study for it and ramp up and be ready to rock and roll once those, those labs do open back up. So ch- check out the show notes for that link. We'll have that for you. Yeah, hopefully that'll be soon and everyone can get back to to taking that lab and and becoming our freshly minted CCIEs. With that, let's transition to the CCIE version 6 compared to the version 5. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning, 
I passed back in 2014, so I took the version 4. Zach uh, passed on the version 5 a couple years ago. And Nick is on here with us to kind of share some of his experience about the V6, which he is currently studying for. Nick or Zach, do one of y'all want to go over... So I didn't take the version 5, right? So I don't know as much about its layout from personal experience. My understanding is that we had a troubleshooting section, a diagnostic section, and a configuration section on the practical slash lab exam. Uh, things are a little different now in the V6. Things are, you know, it's designed and optimized now. But uh, Zach, do you want to take a, just give us a little bit of your insight as to what the V5 was like and, and maybe how how the V6, what people might want to expect with the, the, the changes here? Yeah, so I, I was in kind of the same situation as Nick where I started studying on V4 and I was right at the cusp of V4 turning to V5. So I did, I, I gave the V4 a, a valiant effort and and failed before it changed. <laughs> so I got to I got to experience when they had all the troubleshooting built into the to the one topology. With the V5, they moved to having a troubleshooting section at the beginning. So it was a kind of a separate topology with no dependencies on the the configuration section. And what I found, I took it twice. What I found was you can get through that as quickly as possible. So if you're a tech engineer that just loves to troubleshoot issues and can burn right through that, uh, the first time I did that, I, I didn't know that I could click go as soon as I was done. So I just burned some time and call that a lack of prep on my part. Uh, but I took some time to gather my thoughts and then just randomly click the next button and it worked. I lost some time there and I, I went on to the diagnostic section. I thought the diagnostic section was incredibly challenging, um, even as a TAC engineer. Um, just the information, the way it's presented, uh, the the amount of, of answers that you have to choose from was very difficult. And I remember the data was there. And as long as you make database decisions and you're used to having to find logs and, and going through that, you, you will get through it. Uh, but you can't deer in the headlights at something that you've never seen because honestly, it's a hundred percent going to be something you've never seen. Um, so you just, I, you know, I, I, I got creative with looking at some of the answers, trying to find filters or anything in the logs to, to correlate between some of the available answers and, and what was actually in the logs. Uh, and I was able to get through that on the first attempt. The config section is pretty much the same, right? You, you just, you're going to have the lab that that you build the core firewall stuff out right so you're going to have to build your entire topology and make everything work around it and it is it is not as long as the other section but it is definitely equally challenging uh and it feels like the amount of content in it felt like it could have been <laughs> made an eight hour lab but it was it was definitely a challenge in its own uh, but i thought it was nice to have kind of the the separation of duties uh, between the different sections. I thought that it was uh, fair for me to understand what I was working on because I was accurately being, I was being challenged in a way that I knew this is a config challenge and I need to figure out how to build this thing. Whereas before I would question whether there was a, you know, a, a vacle <laughs> that's breaking my layer two or something that I didn't really have that same fear when I took it. So I, I do think that the new versions separating that are, are key. 
Um, and then for the two sections, right, I guess, Nick, speak to the two section if you know more about that, because I'm not exactly sure how out of those three they're going to break it up. Yeah, obviously not having haven't taken it yet. I don't know, you know, hands on, but I, I heavily prepared myself based upon, you know, the format and, and what uh, Cisco Press has published. Uh, in this version six, we have the first module, which is just a design. And uh, from what Cisco's published it, it, it carries over into your module two. So you'll have a, a module one that's a design phase, and then there's a module two, which is deploy, opter, operate, and optimize combined into a five-hour segment. So the change, I guess, from, from the experience Zach had on version five to this uh, version six is that design is, is three hours versus a troubleshoot and a diagnostic, which made up that three hours. Um, and and from what Cisco has published, um, it's scenario-based. So given a situation, uh, what design would you uh, use? Given certain parameters, would you use, you know, maybe a DMVPN versus uh, GetVPN or, or whatever uh, topologies they give you? Um, and from what I hear, that carries over a lot of the same overall topology and design aspects carry over to the next, that module two, which is five hours um, of hands-on, which will be deploying, operating, and optimizing. And so I, because I take that troubleshooting section in Cisco always has been uh, pretty solid about keeping troubleshooting in their exams. I would assume that in that module two of deploy, operate, and optimize, you're going to be um, expected to, to troubleshoot certain aspects of your topology um but that being said i you know obviously haven't taken the attempt i can only uh prepare myself the best uh <laughs> way in which cisco prepares us and they do give us a lot of material and and uh and support but uh i think it's an experience you've gotta you gotta there go there'll definitely be a curveball <laughs> put a notch on the <laughs> no bill <doubt>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You guys. Know. I remember. Yeah, I remember the the first time I took the V4. I I opened up all the terminals and turned all the logging on to try and just see everything that was happening. And it was just information overload. <laughs> I just tried to to log everything and, and see every firewall drop throughout the entire topology. And I found out later that might not be the best thing to do. So. <laughs> Yeah, and that's and that's a good point, Zach. Because a lot of times, you know, people will, and you know, I, I I wanted to do this too, but you'll study for months and months and months and months, right? And you've never taken a crack at the lab, you know. And sometimes that's understandable, right? It's a significant financial investment. You know, there's a lot of logistics to go into taking the lab, right. um, but there's also a point where you just have to go and and give it a give it a shot. You know, once you feel yeah. like you've got a good handle on the bl blueprint, you want to go take that attempt and and make sure that you know that how you're studying right i know that for myself after i went and took the first attempt i was like oh my gosh like yeah i i know x y and z but there's all these other ones that i'm really weak on and plus i was maybe going about it in the wrong way and, and you really just don't know until you've taken an attempt at it so obviously you want to prepare yourself you know so that you have a, a legitimate chance but um there's a good chance and let's just you know let's let's be honest with ourselves here and with all of our listeners most people don't pass this thing on their first try. In fact, yeah. you know, a lot of us, even in the TAC, you know, it takes us multiple attempts to pass the CCIE. And so, you know, I know for me personally, you know, I, 
in, in school and stuff, I was always a pretty good test taker, but so I wasn't really used to failing an exam multiple times. So it was a bit of a humbling <laughs> experience. Um, that's why I guess I say, you know, it's character building because uh, you get, you get a little dose of humility when you, when you go up against the CCIE. Um, but, you know, be prepared for that, you know, try to pass on your first time, but, you know, be prepared for the, the harsh reality that I think 19 out of 20, you know, on the CCIE security version four, at least I think at the time it was like a 5% first time pass rate or something like that. So it was really, really low. So do your best, but don't be crushed if you don't pass it, you know, pick yourself back up and keep at it. For sure. And I guess we're going to have a section here in a little bit where we kind of give some feedback, but the iterative process that you take out of taking a test and then incorporating that into your study strategy is key, whether it's the written or the lab. Uh, you always want to take those scars and, <laughs> and turn them into something valuable for the next time. So, but well, I, I think, think we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. I think even that pass rate, right? If you, you know, the low, low pass rate is what gives uh, that lab exam credibility and makes it so valuable, right? If, for sure. if anyone could go study for two months and, and crush that exam, it wouldn't have the value and the weight that it carries in the industry. Um, but being as it's so hard as it is, I, I think that's really attributes to its weight and, and value, you know, across the industry, multi-vendor uh, worldwide. Yeah, that's a great point, Nick. I mean, obviously, it's obviously if you pass the CCA, you you know, you know your stuff, right? That it's really hard to fake that practical exam. And not only that, but but from my own experience, you know, when I see someone who's passed the CCIE, I see someone who's clearly gone through, a, you know, a gauntlet, you know, that's probably failed it, you know, at least, you know, at least once in most cases and, and went back and stuck it out. And so really it's as much about your stick to or your diligence and perseverance as much as it is your technical aptitude. Um, obviously you need both, but it, it really is a, a major differentiator for, for people there. So let's talk about a bit of the differences in terms of the technical side, right? What are the what what's out and what's in? So I'll, I'll kick us off here, and then I'll turn it over to you guys. Yeah, I, I noticed when I was reading the blueprint on V6, two of the things that that stuck out to me right away were no more Cisco ACS, right? Uh, in years past, at least in the past five, six, seven years, you were studying ICE for stuff, and you're doing you know uh, TACX, or actually you were doing mostly Radius there. And, uh, and then you had to do AC, pull up ACS and do all the same stuff and do it in TACX and things like that. And that was really kind of annoying to have to do both. But now ACS is out and ICE is in. Um, and I'll let you guys elaborate more on that since you guys are much more well-versed in ICE than I am. Um, but also no more legacy IPS. So the Cisco legacy IPS um, is out and now firepower and, and snort-based technologies are in. So those are two of the big differences. Um, Nick and or Zach, have you guys um, noticed or, or want to elaborate on some of the other subject changes that have occurred? A couple, a couple things from my observation because I started studying on the five and the, and now I've switched over to the version six. Um, we we upgraded some uh, ASA code versions. Uh, so the code versions that we went to for version six now, uh, nine four and above 
ASA now supports virtual tunnel interfaces, VTIs. So uh, I would expect to see something like that on the exam, uh, being as that was an upgrade. And the, another feature uh, that I'm familiar with, uh, with that code version upgrade would be uh, IKV2 uh, for your AnyConnect. So uh, we're able to do SSL and IKV2 uh, AnyConnect. Um, another feature set, that's different on this exam from what I see is a couple of ICE nodes are listed on the blueprint in the past. I believe they just uh, ran with one. Uh, so I would be familiar with uh, distributed deployment across ICE instead of just a, a singular node. Outside of that, the, the biggest curveball that I still haven't figured out 100% whether it's going to be for curl uh, commands and some API because that's getting built heavily into all of Cisco's testing, uh, some of the API and, and DevNet stuff. Um, there is Kali Linux on the blueprint. So whether uh, the verdict is still out on what that 100% is going to be used for, but I've uh, become very familiar in the last few months using it for both uh, Linux uh, curl commands and uh, and running some exploits through you know snort let's say and, and intrusion prevention and just playing with it for the most part but uh, I'm excited to kind of see why they put Kali I mean it is a, a very common security penetration testing tool set so they could have used any other Debian or, or Linux uh, tool set, but they decided to use the flavor of Kali. So um, that should be exciting. I see PX Grid on here. Um, so I'm assuming we're going to start seeing some PX Grid, some integration stuff between all these different products. So maybe you'll need to have, you know, uh, an ICE node that's a PX Grid node integrating with WSA ICE FMC. So those are things that, Pretty pretty standard process, right? Just integrate integrate PX Grid between any of these devices, and you should be fine. And then I also see Duo as something that looks new here. Uh, definitely for for you you folks that use ICE know how to do an external Radius server that passes Radius authentications up to Duo. It's pretty standard. You're gonna need an off proxy on Windows Server, but the off proxy is a very straight straightforward setup. You can put it on pretty much any Windows box and you just forward radius traffic at it. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to see much more. Um, I don't use the cell phone when I build these out in labs. I just do my free duo account and I auto accept, right? And that way I don't I know that there's nothing wrong other than just username and password passing back and accept. I would imagine you'd be good building that out in the lab. And duo from what I know I know internally we we kind of have this persistent free account, um, but they do offer trial accounts um, that obviously you're going to get very <laughs> familiar with trialing everything. I don't want to condone endless trials, but you know, have a couple email addresses ready. The whole thing is when I was studying, I went through the entire list. Um, and I got, before I took the exam the first time, I got incredibly bogged down on every minute CLI configuration. I remember, like, I still think I'm going to be one of the greatest non-case-taking non zone-based <laughs> firewall engineers that there, that there is. And, and that's because I spent weeks on that. So my advice would be, you know, understand the high level, understand where you need to question mark out some of that CLI for some of those obscure features. But don't spend don't spend a month 
don't on whatever the zone based firewall equivalent of this exam is, you know, understand it, understand its place in the ecosystem and then how how to access it. But until you get your hands dirty and understand where where it's uh, going to fit, it may be counterproductive to spend months and months. Yeah, the months other thing that I see detail. Yeah, the, the Just other thing that people get hung up on in, you know, I'm, I'm part of a few forums and study groups like Router Gods, and people are like, oh, it's AnyConnect 4.2 is on this. Where do you get your hands on that? And I, I, I tell people, like, don't get hung up on AnyConnect 4.2. They may, there is a disclaimer on the blueprint that says you may or may see, may not see other versions. And I, I don't even know. It's tough and tack to get access to 4.2 anymore. We have it stuck on a server somewhere, but... That's not something that most of our listeners or, you know, Cisco customers are going to be able to go try to grab a 4.2 version of AnyConnect. Yeah, I was just going to say, a lot of times a good strategy in that case is to look at, you know, what some of the differences are between versions, right? I mean, if if you're running a later, you know, let's say you're running a later ASA version and it says 9.8, but you're running 9.12, you know, a lot of cases it doesn't really matter that much. There may be some small syntactical changes or something, but it doesn't have to be exact. And I think that was the spirit of what, you know, Zach, you were saying is don't get too bogged down in all the little details because you'll figure those out. Make sure that you're making headway on the on the concepts right. at large and that you understand how things interoperate, you know, the general idea of how to get it configured, how to troubleshoot it, but don't get too hung up. And don't spend hours re-imaging, you know, some device to get it to the exact, you know, interim build version or something because 99% <laughs> of the time it's not going to matter. So try to get through the bulk of the material and don't get hung up on too many of the nitty gritty details. Yeah. I think the 80, 80, 20 rule works here too. Right. I, I mean, if you can get, if you can get each of these technologies configured within a, a reasonable amount of time, that's going to be what you're trying to achieve in that first pass through the blueprint. You want to be able to look at a topic and understand high level. How do I get the, the, the meat of this configured. Now the, the test may ask you about one of the more obscure features. So you want to at least read over that, but I would say more importantly, being able to see a topic and know its place in the ecosystem and being able to configure it quickly is more important than having memorized syntax for every single available feature. So uh, that's just my experience uh, from trying it both ways and being yeah, successful. And, uh, one, one, one thing that popped in my head while you were talking is Easy VPN. I, I, I think Easy VPN was on, wasn't that on version five still, <laughs> if I remember correctly? Uh, yeah. It was certainly on four. It was on oh, four man. for yeah, sure. And, and I was fortunate enough to, I got to work with some of the, the partners and the internal Cisco people to kind of determine what went on the five. And I lobbied hardcore to get Easy VPN knocked <laughs> off of there because that was the bane of my existence for a while. I mean, <clears throat> that was one where I had to go back through and set it up and tear it down and yeah. set it up and tear it down. And half the time it worked and half the time it just seemed like it didn't. I don't know. I still have nightmares about it. But anyway, Easy VPN is, is, is definitely gone in version six. So. All versions of six. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Kevin, a beer. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> for advocating. Um, for yeah, no, I, I just, I just now dawned on me that I forgot to mention <laughs> that that it's it's gone. Um, I didn't pay all as much attention to version five since I was still I was on my pink cloud celebrating for a couple years after the V4 pass. So I, I kind of checked out for a while um, on the CCIE <laughs> stuff, but yeah, it's nice that that one's gone. Uh, so let's pivot a little bit. Uh, I want to dedicate a few good minutes here to virtualization. So I know that in version four, 
back years ago, we did we were able to virtualize a good bit of it, but we still had to have I think it was anywhere between eight to twelve physical devices, a lot of ASAs, a lot of IPS devices that you couldn't virtualize back then. Um, things have changed a lot now, where uh, we can virtualize almost everything. I mean, even wireless LAN controllers. Um, so let's talk a little bit about just virtualization. I, I think, in a nutshell, right? We can we can virtualize just about everything, but a few of the requirements that we have. So you can get away with basically a couple a small, you know, small, you know, fifty five, twelve, fifty five, sixteen ASAs, a couple catalyst switches, which can be pretty small switches too, and maybe an access point, right? And aside from that, pretty much all of this can be virtualized. And so one of you guys, uh, Nick, well, I know you've been knee deep in this lately. What, let's talk about some of these virtualization options that people have that in a lot of cases are free of charge or very cheap and very flexible. Um, how can how can our listeners utilize virtualization to, to the maximum benefit trying to get through the CCIA blueprint? Yeah. Um... Like Kevin said, almost everything can be virtualized anymore. So people grab up an ESXi server. Um, you can you can spin these up in the cloud. You can a lot of our our listeners and and people are at Cisco customers or partners and have access to a server. Um, but there's products out there. A good chunk of the test is uh, VPN, right? And, and network segmentation is is about 20% of the lab. And so uh, products like EVNG, um, my favorite that I use every day is, is Viral. It's a Cisco product. Um, I think Eve, you can get a, a community version for $100. Viral, uh, the community version is $199 uh, for a license on that. Um, but those are those are just simulation products that you can just uh, spin up, and they're real easy. Uh, support ASA. Um, they'll support... Uh, routers, so you can do all of your VPN uh, routing uh, for your ASAs, uh, NATing, um, all that kind of general traditional security practice can be all, all done in those. VMware Workstation and VirtualBox can be used for the you know the Kali Linux and the Windows 10. Uh, they pulled physical equipment like. Cisco IP phones and stuff are not on this version anymore, so you don't have to go scramble to try to find yourself a old used IP phone. And I know Zach as well. So when I came to to Cisco TAC, Zach was one of my uh, mentors. I was assigned to. Uh, he was on our team. Um, I'm sorry, Nick. He, he launched me into the viral the viral scene and uh no matter what simulator you like i you know zach introduced me to viral but um he's a good resource for that but viral for me has been a, a great training ground but it's also a great testing like i can just spin up within five minutes a uh, certain router Put it on a code version. Put on another router and and stand up a you know a site to site VPN with you know pretty instantaneously. So um, I've been really happy with that. You know we obviously get access to that at Cisco. You know so other people out in the partner world I know are are lean towards you know GNS and and Eve. Uh, but uh, I know Zach's done a lot of this as well. So yeah. Um, so. My strategy was to beg, borrow, and steal to get anything that I could. Um, so at Cisco, there's there's a decent amount, you know, of things to beg, borrow, and steal from. Uh, I took a couple different strategies. Uh, I was able to get a UCS. Like at the time, the two twenties were only one version uh, behind, and so I was able to kind of keep those current. I had a C an M three C two twenty. 
with 256 gigs of RAM and I was able to pretty much virtualize everything I needed on the lab. And that was at the work lab. And then at home, I had a tower with 64 gigs of RAM. So I built a tower and uh, I put ESXi on that and started virtualizing a lot of that. And, you know, I didn't take, so what I found was um, you, you actually with very little equipment can build out chunks of a lot of the lab, right? So I took, I had one thirty-eight fifty, one twenty-nine hundred, and um, two fifty-five twelves, right? And I would build a cluster um, with the fifty-five twelves, and then I would, I would just start drawing, right? I would be like, okay, now I have a fifty-five twelve uh, cluster here. Let's make that an SXP speaker or a listener. And then I would plug in a switch to that and I would have the switch be the speaker. And then I would do Mab on that port. And then I would make the switch speak SXP to the cluster. Right. And if you don't, if you haven't studied yet, and this doesn't all make sense, as you read the topics, you just add it into your home lab. And now I don't really have that many, like I don't have to build this massive CCIE lab with a device for each technology. Every time I would learn it, I would erase the entire configuration. I would rebuild the cluster. I would rebuild the switch. I would rebuild all the .1x or MAB configuration and I would redo the ICE config. And once I did that, I got very, very comfortable doing many CCIE buildups that required me to get my firewall going before I was able to do my .1x. And then once I got that working, I started browsing to my tower and I would put a router in the middle and I would do WCCP and I would make sure I had to redirect. And once I got to a point that I could actually get to my server, I was pretty freaking good, <laughs> right? Once I was able to get all that working. And so, and then to make all that work, right? Of course you need to authenticate EIGRP between it all. And, and so I had a mini lab with just a few things. And I was sitting at my house with, you know, a, a router that I had turned into a console server. So those are the types of creative approaches that if you're sitting here listening, saying, well, good for you, you guys work at Cisco and you can go still use yes. It doesn't have to be that way. You can build a very cheap lab, relatively cheap lab with a home built box that you put a, a you know, an ESXi license on. But I'm certainly also an advocate of viral. Um, what I did was viral gives you the ability to build out pre-made topologies. So like Nick said, right, a lot of this stuff is going to be VPN. I would build out uh, all of the VPN topologies and put just the layer three information that I needed to get routing between them, right, as a simulated ISP. And I would save that as my baseline. Um, and then I would build that up. And in one instance, it would be a DMVPN environment. The very next instance, it would be a GetVPN environment. The very next instance, one of those routers would be a PKI server, and I would authenticate crypto maps between them, right? And you can just put a loopback or another interface off of one of these virtual devices. And then, and then you just spin that up and tear it down as many times as you need. Um, so virtualization is, is key. Um, the only thing I feel like the AP, obviously, you're going to need to have that in, in place. But the rest of it, you know, the, the virtualized servers as you need them 
you can virtualize the WLCs and, and now everything's moving to the cloud. So you just need a cloud connection for all that. I know I'm rambling, but these are all things that when you start getting creative, you don't need somebody to say, here is the even G with a very predefined CCIE network. You just need to get creative in how you troubleshoot yeah, the things people, that you know you, you know, need to work I'm on. I'm part of a you know a couple of groups, you know, some study groups online, and some people will band together. And you know, if Zach's got a an access point and Kevin's got a pair of fifty five twelves, no reason for me to go buy those and and get yourself into a study group and some people uh, set up a WebEx session uh, and, and get together and and. Odds are, if Kevin's got a pair of 5512s, he may be more competent or more proficient in that technology uh, than I am. And maybe, you know, I have some other equipment laying around. So that whole beg, borrow, steal, plead, uh, band together, uh, it's a good philosophy of, of find other people who are studying because they're also building labs. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great point. And yeah. just in terms of the camaraderie, the accountability, one of the things that helped me a lot was we had sort of a mini group, about five or six guys, you know, that were studying together back in 2014, 2013, 2014. And, you know, there were about two or three of us who were really serious about it. We were studying together, you know, 10, 10 11 p.m. I'd get stuck. I'd get tunnel vision, you know, on EasyVPN or something like that. It just would not work, right? And so I'd call up my buddy. It was Rob at the time. You guys know Rob, uh, one of our uh, former tech engineers, a uh, great guy. And I'd call him up and I'm like, dude, you got a sec, like, let's jump on a WebEx. I am beating my head against my desk. I can't even think anymore. And, you know, it's awful. So he, he you know, he'd get on and be like, yeah, dude, look, your IP address is wrong on that tunnel interface. You know, like something simple. It would always be like a fat finger. Yeah. Oh, your, uh, your interface is shut no down. Shut there, bro. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Because I would always, I'd always go too fast. That's another thing is I'd fly through it. You know, I'm like, oh, I can type super fast and I'll just rip through this so fast. And I'd overlook some some mundane detail, right? That comes back and and would haunt me later on. So, um, very, whereas he was very methodical, you know, he'd like write it out, check it, move on, and I'm just blasting through it. So, all that is to say, you know, a lot of times, the accountability, the encouragement that you get from working in a team is really valuable. And a lot of times, when you get stuck on something, you know, a minute detail or something it's also good to have another pair of eyes. Don't spin your wheels too long. Obviously do your due diligence and, and get good at figuring out things. Cause in the lab, you can't help. You can't, can't phone a friend on the lab. Right. But at the same time, when you're studying, if you, you know, if you're an hour or two hours into some problem and you're just getting frustrated, that's where you can just, you know, grab one of your buddies and say, Hey, what am I doing wrong here? And then move on. Right. There's no reason to, to keep spinning your wheels excessively on something like that. So just, just wanted to, to give a plus one to Nick's, you know, comment about work together, you know, working groups, because you're going to, you're going to have a lot more fun and you're, you're going to, it's going to be very helpful in your journey as well. So it's a tough road to go alone. Yeah. So let's, um, we're going to, we're going to start to sure. get to the latter end of our show here and uh, you know, let's just finish out with some, some thoughts that we may have from our own experiences. I think I just shared one um, about, you know, the, the group effort and how that's so important. Uh, one of the things that I'll just share, and before I, I go back to Nick and Zach here, is, you know, when you're taking the taking the lab, uh, one of the things that I really struggle with early on is getting frustrated, right? As I just mentioned, you know, I I had a tendency to kind of go a little too quickly through things, and then have to go back and figure out where I screwed up, and so 
you know, try to be methodical. You know, obviously it's a time-based exam, so you got to move, but don't don't go too fast, right? Just kind of check yourself and be methodical as you go through. Um, don't get, try not to get tunnel vision. If you lose your cool and you get frustrated, right, your brain starts to shut down a little bit and, you know, it, it becomes really difficult to dig out of that and you'll lose a lot of time. So if you have to, you know, move on to something else, take a deep breath, um, but really just kind of resolve to yourself, hey, like this is not the end of the world. And, and don't get too myopic or stuck on, on one thing. Um, when you when you take the exam, you know, if, if whether you pass or not, you won't know right away. Go and, and brain dump for yourself. Obviously, you know, there's a strong code of ethics where we can't share anything that we've experienced in terms of material, et cetera, on, you know, about what's on the, the lab. But we can share, you know, concepts, things that we did that helped us. Right. And one of those was. Yeah, after I took the exam, and I was pretty sure I didn't pass it, right? First thing I do is I go out to my car, and I just write down everything that I remember from it for myself later so that I know, you know, what topics I felt like I did well on, which topics I felt like, you know, I needed a lot of work on. So then I can take that back home and say, okay, you know, I did really poor on VPN, or I really, I really stunk it up on ICE, right? I, I, I did not understand how to do, you know, dot one x like I thought I did, something like that. Then, then I have some takeaways to go back and immediately work on. So, you know, those were just a couple things. Uh, last one, I'll say, don't make assumptions. You know, my first couple tries, especially the first try, you know, I'm like, yeah, this IPS won't come online or something. And, and I I would make assumptions like layer two's got to work, right? They wouldn't, you know, the, of course the VLANs aren't going to be mismatched or whatever, but you just never know. And all of the, all of the lab access information is there. So just, you know, be methodical, right? Work your way up the stack. And make sure that you have connectivity at layer two, layer three, layer four. Don't just assume that things are working and then jump into reading logs and stuff. You know, start simple. Make sure you know that your physical links are up. You're you're connected at layer two, right? VLANs. You know, routing makes sense. And you know, just just kind of work your way up like you know how to do. And don't don't overcomplicate it. You know, take it one step at a time. Be methodical. Don't make assumptions. So those are just a couple of little tidbits. Um, Nick or Zach, do you guys have any sort of words of wisdom that you'd like to, to leave with uh, our listeners? I, I don't really have any um, wise tidbits. I've, obviously, I haven't taken it. Um, I, I do have some encouragement for those of you who are in the same scenario as myself um, and, and just waiting for these labs to open. There there are internal discussions. There are tentative opening dates for, for labs around the world. I know... Um, uh, Beijing and uh, Brussels, I believe, are open right now, although there are travel bans to those countries. But just uh, we'll include the link um, so that you guys can keep watching it as I am. Uh, for those of you who are, who are prepared and like to have a date set so you can, uh, you know, set your goals and stuff. So uh, stay focused, keep, uh, keep encouraged and uh, keep locking yourself in the garage late at night. That, that's good advice um, because right now, you know, the thing about the CCIE is uh, it, it very much is a lot. It, it's a dump of information in your mind. And so keeping it fresh and making sure that it's all all in RAM is a tough thing to do, especially when you got to drag it out. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I I got a couple of things that I've that I guess I learned over time. One of them is um, we all know sometimes you just need a reboot. Uh, don't don't be above rebooting. Um, in your lab, like at home practicing or in the CCIE. Uh, reboot is a part of your job and your work. So it, it's also something that that is not beyond consideration in the actual CCIE lab. 
Um, my advice to you would be try and be comfortable enough uh, to understand the technology to a point that you feel like this should be working. And when you hit that point, if you're not, if you don't have a clear defined action plan for how to troubleshoot this in a methodical way, <laughs> just hit reboot and see if that works. Right. It's, it, it's, uh, I know these guys are laughing at me and there's probably some of you that are laughing at me, but, um, it works. Uh, the other thing is know how to do a password reset on everything, um, from the console. So, uh, I got locked out of a box, um, and it was the password was there. I brought over the proctor. I told the proctor that the password was <laughs> wrong and he said, good luck. So fortunately I knew how to do the password reset on this box all the way from booting it into console. Um, but if I had not, I, that was a huge part of the test. So be very familiar with the basic setup and the password resets on all of these devices. Find that time when you first get comfortable with the technology, time yourself, and then you probably want to be about half that time by the time you're done studying that technology. So when you're studying DMVPN or GetVPN, those really tight, intensive technologies where there's a lot of lines of code, there's a lot of things that you're going to have to type, type them, get them all in your mind. And then just start taking off time off the time that it takes you to configure that because those are the types of places that you're going to want to be able to pick up speed whenever you run into the problems that you're not accustomed to. The thing that you don't want to be spending time on is trying to remember the commands that you know 100% you're going to have to type. You don't want to be question marking those out if you can at all help it. So the 80% is what I'm talking about, that, that baseline boilerplate config that you know that's going to be there every time. Be so familiar with that and so comfortable with that that you're able to knock that out get that in place and then it's time to start troubleshooting because the the last thing that you want to fail the CTIE <laughs> for is because you're a slow typer. Um, and then really, and then, uh, you know, the other thing is that I would recommend is, um, you know, set, set the bar, the expectation bar a little bit lower. Um, it's a journey. It's a totally a marathon. You're absolutely going to start sprinting at the beginning of it. Um, but I, I guarantee you at some point you'll have to, to pace it out to a marathon pace. COVID has forced Nick to get his marathon shoes on and take his sprinting, sprinting shoes off. He, <laughs> he's no longer wearing spikes on the, on the track, right? He's running on the road now. So I, I would definitely recommend to everyone that you, you understand that you're in it for the long journey so that there's no disappointment. You know, I, I one of my, my stories is, you know, I was, training a, um, a group of new tech engineers. And I took a, a week to study before I took it one of the times. And they all, you know, everybody was texting me the night of, you know, asking, did you pass? Did you pass? Did you pass? And I didn't even want to go back to work. <laughs> I had failed. And I was just like, man, I don't want to do this. It was not the first time I'd failed. Um, so, uh, you know, I had a, a therapy session um, <laughs> with some Jack Daniels, you know, and, uh, he convinced me to to get some grit and keep going, and 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 then you know I went past it, right? So uh, if you go into it thinking that you're never going to experience anything that slows you down or keep you, or it's just going to be a great process, you're going to get disappointed. So you might as well accept that now and, and just 
be prepared when you're going to go take the written. I might have to take it three times. So for the next three months, I got to schedule a, a written test date. And when I when I'm going to go take the lab, I'm going to take it that first time and reassess what I thought I knew. Um, and then I'm going to you know figure out from there how long until the next one. And then you just keep that cadence and you never back down and you, you know this from the beginning of the journey. So it's a part of it and, and you'll be successful 100%. Uh, everybody that's approached it that way, I, I've seen them be successful. Really good so words, that's, Zach. That's thanks my for advice. that. And thanks for uh, your advice as well, Nick. And, and good luck on the rest of your journey. You know, we'll just leave our listeners with this. You know, you know all of Zach's words were ex- exactly true, right? You got to have the perseverance you gotta you gotta have the right expectations going in but you know looking back also you know learning the technologies it's a lot of fun yeah so you know it's so much you're fun. gonna be <laughs> such a you know so great at your job and your career is gonna be so bright when when you be, i remember walking into tac after i passed the ccia one of the technical leaders uh, at the time looked at me and i was still only two years in attack and he's like congratulations you now know more than anyone else in this room right now, right? You you are the you are the resident expert, and there's a lot of truth to that, right? You you've been grinding it in for months. You know Cisco's basically entire security portfolio in and out, and there's a lot of excitement there. And some of my fondest memories, while they were difficult, were back then. You know, in the grind with your boys, or, or you know your brothers and your sisters in the trenches learning this stuff, and it, it really is a lot of fun. And it's really fulfilling. So. It's a grind, it's a journey, but it's also very rewarding, very fulfilling, and you can have a lot of fun with it. So those are my parting words. <laughs> I, I, I realize now that I made it seem like this like terribly daunting task, but the, the upside of that, of that grind, is that any future challenge will not seem so significant, right? So I, I've switched to multiple technologies now since I've taken that. Um, and that onboarding process is one that, that just seems pretty simple now. Um, I just take the technology, I, I read a couple specs on it, I put it in the lab, I troubleshoot it, and it's like a mini CCIE, and it seems like a, a much lighter version. So, I mean, the, the, the value that you gain from that grind is is the upside uh, of the grind hardened. itself, for sure. And, uh, yeah, and you guys... You are listeners. You'll be battle hardened too. Go out what. there, you know, study the CCIE. Uh, more power to you. Best of luck. Um, hopefully, you know, some of the insights here from from Nick and Zach have, um, and hopefully myself, huh, uh, Lord willing, will will be proved to be useful for you. We we hope that um, that they happen. And also, you know, as, as always, feel free to send us some feedback. You know, we'll have all of our contact information posted in the show notes. So you can always leave us feedback if there's something you want to hear. If you want to hear another episode when Nick goes out there and passes it and you want his words of wisdom on the V6 based on his anecdotal information, you know, let us know. Send us some information uh, uh, by way of feedback and uh, and we'll try to try to get that for you. But um, with that, best of luck out there in your CCI journey. Stay safe, stay healthy in this uh, crazy 2020. Once again, Zach McIntosh and Nick Conroy, thank you guys so much for joining today. It's been a great pleasure having you on today so we appreciate it and to our listeners we hope you have a a wonderful day and we will see you next time on the tax security podcast thanks for listening